I'm Joel Stromberg, and I want to welcome you to this, the first podcast of A Piece of My Mind. The program marks the expansion of the offerings on my blog, civilnotion.com. Today, I'm directing my attention to the alchemistic role of the climate youth movement that promises to turn base political words into precious political will. Thanks to an extraordinary 16-year-old Swedish teenager named Greta Thunberg, millions of youth around the world have taken to the streets with the goal of getting older, if not always wiser, government leaders to act on the evidence-based warnings of the global science community. These young hawks are promising to keep the feet of political leaders to the fire until they either act or are replaced by leaders who will. Today's climate champions follow in the footsteps of the children of Birmingham, Alabama, who in 1963 marched against segregation when their parents couldn't for fear of losing their jobs. Shot by water cannon and attacked by police dogs, those children changed the face and the fate of the civil rights movement as their bravery was captured in pictures that appeared in newspapers around the world. Ms. Thunberg is not the only young person who fears a stunted future caused by centuries of unsustainable energy and environmental practices. A recent Washington Post Kaiser Family Foundation poll found that 86% of U.S. teenagers believe what the world's scientists have consistently been saying are the causes, consequences, and needed responses to Earth's climate crisis. For months, Ms. Thunberg stood a solitary watch outside the Swedish parliament, waiting for some sign that the government leaders within were finally ready to act on what the world scientists have been saying with increased urgency would be the impoverished fate of future generations should too little be done too late to curb the emission of greenhouse gases and the wanton destruction of natural ecosystems. Tired of waiting for their elders, today's youth are standing up for themselves and future generations, demanding of governments what is well within their powers to secure, a habitable environment in which the health and welfare of citizens are protected. The 21 plaintiffs in Juliana versus the United States have been standing for four years in a federal district court in Oregon, asking it to declare a habitable environment, a constitutionally protected right, a right the authors of the Constitution were unlikely ever to have contemplated, let alone discussed in a pre-industrial America. The right of a habitable future, however, is no less essential to the formation and maintenance of a more perfect union than the right to an education or to vote. 57% of U.S. teenagers are afraid of what the world will become should the U.S. government and those of other nations fail in their obligations to check the forces responsible for Earth's warming. What these forces are is no mystery. Evidence linking the, linking the emission of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane from fossil fueled power plants and the exhausts of planes, trains, buses, autos, and boats to Earth's rising temperatures is everywhere. Rising temperatures are contributing factors to the fires in California, historic flooding from storms in the Midwest, and shrinking coastlines because of rising ocean waters. U.S. teenagers are not the only ones fearful of their future. The recent student climate strike saw an estimated 4 million, mostly young protesters, standing tall with Ms. Thunberg, and the plaintiffs in the multiple Juliana-inspired cases now in the courts. As the climate summit got underway in New York this past September, 
16 young climate activists, including U.S. teens Alexandria Villasenor and Carl Smith, filed a petition with the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. The petitioners are asking the committee to find, based on available scientific evidence, that climate change is a children's rights crisis. In Afghanistan, students risked their lives to march in solidarity, demanding their government and those of other nations listen to and then act on what the mainstream climate science community is saying is the greatest external threat to nature and society since the great extinction, greater even than the conflicts between warring religious and political factions that are tearing nations apart, factions that fail to comprehend or perhaps just to care that we are all in this together. There is no place to hide from the consequences of climate change. There are no walls high enough to stop a neighboring state's greenhouse gas emissions from harming the health of downwind communities or to keep their ecosystem from spiraling out of balance with the loss of bee populations that food crops depend upon for pollination. The fires now burning in the Amazon are not only adding carbon to Earth's atmosphere, they are destroying a forest capable of single-handedly absorbing 5% of all the CO2 the world emits each year. Displacement of populations due to warming temperatures is increasing. According to the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, rising temperatures have already had a significant effect on human migration, particularly from agriculturally dependent countries lacking the funds necessary to invest in resilience and adaptation. The World Bank estimates that the number of people susceptible to poverty who will be exposed to climate-related risks will increase by several hundred million by 2030. The Pentagon has predicted that climate force migration will result in greater competition for increasingly scarce arable lands and potable water sources, inevitably spawning armed conflicts, ultimately raising security concerns in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. Many of the Central American immigrants now trying to get into the U.S. have left their coffee farms, in part because temperatures on their mountainsides keep rising. Trump's denial of climate science and his casting of climate change as a partisan issue blinds him and other deniers from considering investments in community resilience and sustainable agricultural practices in Latin America a more effective answer to illegal immigration than locking them up. A response that carries with it substantial political and economic benefits for both the giver and receiver of aid. Ms. Thunberg and other youth leaders have become lightning rods to science deniers who dismiss their evidence-based statements on the causes of climate change by casting aspersions on their ages and accusing their parents or progressives of using them as unwitting shills incapable of critical thinking. At the UN summit, Trump walked right by the 16-year-old Greta after her stinging and very emotional speech punctuated with tears of what appeared to be both frustration and anger. Thunberg told the summit audience that all government leaders seemed able to talk about with the world at the beginning of a mass extinction was money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. One of those tales being that today's problems could be solved by business as usual practices, along with some modest technical breakthroughs.
The moment of Trump's passing was captured by a photographer. Ignoring the young woman's presence, Trump stood mute, looking straight ahead as if to convince himself she wasn't there, though she stood quite near, glaring at him with daggers in her eyes. It was reported that Trump had heard Greta's speech, although not in person. Later that day, he tweeted a message dripping with sarcasm. She seems like a very happy young girl looking forward to a bright and wonderful future. So nice to see. Really, Mr. President, you're trolling a 16-year-old now? Unbowed by Trump's lame attempt at sarcasm, Thunberg appropriated his words, turning them into her Twitter bio. Michael Knowles, a far-right pundit, plumbed the depths of decency while doing a segment on Fox about the UN summit and climate change. He said if climate change were about the science, it would be led by a scientist rather than a politician and a mentally ill Swedish child exploited by her parents and the international left. Even by Fox's standards, Noel's statement was over the top. The network has banned him from further appearances. Despite anything President Trump and other deniers have to say, climate science is settled science at least as to the causes and consequences of Earth's warming. The world is now experiencing, with increasing frequency, the types of consequences the mainstream science community has been warning of for decades. Melting ice caps, rising ocean levels, northward migration of insect and fish populations, and species extinction. If climate change were a hurricane, what we're seeing now are just the outer bands. For millennials and, gen and the generations that have followed, these occurrences are consistent with what they've learned in school and elsewhere to expect to happen should nations not move aggressively enough to curb greenhouse gas emissions and adopt more sustainable ways of living. The occurrence of these events paints the dystopian picture that's led to the fear and anger felt by Ms. Thunberg, the recent petitioners to the UN's rights of the Child Committee and the millions of other youths who have been gathering lately in the streets of cities and towns across the globe, demanding their governments do something about the growing crisis and blaming earlier generations for not having done more. General, generational conflicts are very much a part of the current climate debates, just as they are a part of today's politics. The largest group of Trump's core supporters are older, white, less educated, non-urban males. These same characteristics are shared by the voters least likely to place a priority on the environment or see climate change as a major global threat. Despite the increased attention being paid to climate change in the media and on the Democrats' debate stage, a recent poll by the Pew Research Organization indicates that overall Republican concern about climate change has remained relatively stable over the past six years. In 2013, 22% of Republicans considered climate change a major threat. This July, the number was 29%. Compare those numbers to the 94% of liberal Democrats and independents and the 75% of moderate Democrats who feel the same. These numbers show increases over 2013 of 30 and 21% respectively. It should be noted that millennials and younger generations of both parties express greater concern for the environment than older party members. 
and are more supportive of regulating greenhouse gas emissions and taking other proactive steps to protect it. The ad hominem attacks on Ms. Thunberg, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, and other young climate hawks by conservative Republican politicians like Senate Majority Leader McConnell and House Freedom Caucus members like Mark Meadows, Dave Bratt, and Jim Jeffords, and ultra-right-leaning pundits like Knowles, Laura Ingram, and Tucker Carlson are deliberate efforts to play one generation against another. The unsubtle message of conservative Republican climate deniers is in its fundamental form cast as a question. Are you going to let some kid talk to you like that? The H card in a different, albeit complementary form, includes a reference to socialism and or a threat to individual freedoms. Incorporating these additional items into the mix, a conservative denier writes, much of the environmental agenda is simply a thinly veiled vehicle for implementing socialism. We shouldn't ignore the fact that these ideas didn't die at the end of the Cold War. They've been repackaged by young, hip millennials. Republican climate deniers are not the only ones playing the age card. Young climate hawks, including Ms. Thunberg, are pointing fingers at baby boomers, blaming them for having failed to fix the climate problem. I admit to harboring a certain resentment of young champions who suggest that they have more skin in the game than I do, because they'll be around longer. I may not be around when the worst of the consequences appear on the scene, but I'm here now, breathing the same air and drinking the same water as anyone of any age in my neighborhood. As a taxpayer and consumer, I'm impacted when the federal government is annually, annually required to pay billions of dollars in disaster relief. As a career advocate of clean energy technologies and environmental protections, I've worked on and witnessed efforts that have been made over the last four decades, both to enact and protect climate-related programs and policies by a core of dedicated professionals and volunteers from around the country. There are reasons why the U.S. environmental laws are inadequate to the challenges posed by climate change and why solar, wind, and other clean energy technologies have only just begun to dominate in the power markets. The primary problem was, as it remains, a lack of political will, a will strong enough to bridge the partisan divide. Ms. Thunberg is right. Government leaders and many climate activists do talk about money and continued economic growth. However, weak economies cannot afford to develop and deploy the technologies needed to effectuate the transition to a low carbon future. New technologies beget new industries. New industries create new jobs. New jobs are a cornerstone of a just transition. What's kept Washington from enacting climate-related programs and policies is not an absence of knowledge about the problem and its consequences or ideas on how to address it. Why we are where we are today is yesterday's lack of political will. Despite all efforts, voters have not placed climate defense high enough on their priority lists. Consequently, lawyers have lacked the motivation, lawmakers have lacked the motivation needed to make the transition happen before this. The rise of the climate youth movement gives today's climate politics a different feel than any time within the past quarter century or more, notwithstanding the fact that support continues to skew heavily left. 
The emotional energy of the climate youth movement is reminiscent of the 1960s anti-war and civil rights movements. The real test, however, will come in November 2020. Although a substantial number of student demonstrators will not be eligible to vote in the next national elections, there is nothing stopping them from influencing the outcome through their considerable organizational and social media skills. Should the youth movement succeed in bringing out the environmental vote in 2020, it would mark a new era in climate politics. Whether a new era will be ushered in depends upon multiple factors, including maintenance of the explosive momentum of interest we're now witnessing through next November and the selection of achievable policy targets. Both factors just happen to be the focus of the next A Piece of My Mind podcast. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to use the contact form on the Civil Notions site or by emailing me at jstronberg at civilnotion.com. You can also sign up on the site for notices of new postings of articles, the twice-weekly newsletter Climate Politics, and of course, new episodes of A Piece of My Mind. Until then, thanks for listening.